go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, and it's in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays, we take a look at the lessons for the following Sunday, which will be the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, August the 29th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. The epistle is from Ephesians 6. And the Holy Gospel is from Mark 7. For this program, we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 6. Because there is a way of teaching that is predominant throughout the whole Bible. As God uses metaphors to help explain what he is talking about. You see, the main goal of every sermon is to get the people to think like God thinks. And so he does that. Sometimes he uses parables. Sometimes he uses synonyms. Sometimes he just speaks plainly. Now, a lot of times when he speaks plainly, Oh, the disciples cannot understand it. In fact, recently we read a text where he says that you need to eat my body and drink my blood. And many of the disciples left Jesus because they could not understand what he was talking about. And so it really is important to realize that there are metaphors in the Bible that need explanation and help us to understand what God is and how he thinks, because that's the goal of every worship service. Well, when I do a sermon, I'm always putting in some insight that is not that clear from the text, especially in the English. And so let's take a look at Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, it's of some interest to know that in Psalm 90, it talks about the pillars of the church. And one of the pillars of the church is God's strength. He's almighty. And that's what we need to rely on. If you try and rely on your own strength at times, guess what? It's not going to work. But to rely on the strength of God, particularly in light of the promises that he makes, then that's what is so helpful. So right away, Paul doesn't fool around. He wants to use a metaphor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, right away, he's mentioning this armor of God. And we're going to find out what he's talking about pretty soon here. But what is the purpose of having this armor of God on? to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil 
Yes, he's been defeated at the cross, but he's still alive, well, and kicking in trying to get people to fall away from God's word. In fact, the Deuteronomy text speaks about that, that God has given us commandments and that a wise and understanding people will follow his commandments. We're living in the United States of America right now where many people are going against his commandments because they think they're wiser than God. In fact, in the lesson that we were looking at recently, it said it's as though the item made by the potter says to the potter, you did not make me, I made myself. And I have understanding and you don't. If that isn't an explanation of evolution, I don't know what is. Evolution teaches God did not make us. We came about by chance, and we have greater understanding than God. That's why we don't need to follow the commandments that he has given us in Holy Bible. So, what Paul does is explain and expand on what he means against the schemes of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that means just against other human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And what's he speaking of here? Well, remember, the angels had a big fight in heaven. And some, of course, stayed with God and others opposed him. We, we call those angels that opposed him demons or evil angels. And that's really what we're fighting against a lot of times, that the evil angels give us temptations and we end up following them. Why? Because a temptation is always to our betterment from the point of view of the evil angel. Just take a look at the evil angel in the Garden of Eden, Satan in the form of a serpent. Adam and Eve, you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not going to die. You're going to become like God. You're going to know good from evil. Now, that white lie, because it is partially true, was totally misunderstood by Adam and Eve. For when they did eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they understood evil and when it hid from God. And where did they hide? They hid where God was because God is everywhere. There's no way that a person can get away from God. And so when we're talking about evil forces in the heavenly places, we need to understand that even here on earth, the heavenly place is a holy Christian church. And do we ever see evil forces in action, even in the holy Christian church? 
I mean, how many Christians are there that do not believe that you need to baptize an infant? How many Christians are there who do not believe that it is the true body and blood of Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine in the Holy Sacrament? How many Christians are there who keep teaching that the way you get saved is you invite Christ into your heart, which, of course, sounds ridiculous because if you're not saved, you're an unbeliever. Why would an unbeliever ever want to invite Christ into their heart? And if they ever desire to, he's already in their heart. They already have come to faith. So there are darkness and spiritual forces, even in the holy places, heavenly places of the Christian church. Therefore, when I have a member who is leaving the state, maybe because of work, marriage, college, we really try and make sure that they find a church that is similar to where they have been going with the same teachings and doctrine. That's very important to do. You should always visit a church before you join it and find out precisely what is it. And it's not just the preaching you need to be concerned about. It's also the teaching. So you've got these evil forces Paul is talking about. And what does he say? That take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So obviously this metaphor of armor must be speaking about something that allows you to be firm against the devil. It also is that which can provide you with comfort, provide you with counsel, provide you with information, uh, provide you with Holy Scripture and what is there about God that he is thinking at this time? So, we need to take a look. What is this armor? Well, he obviously is speaking about the armor that the soldiers in his day were wearing. In fact, uh, I don't know, some years ago, I found, uh, oh, it was about four feet tall, uh, a soldier with his armor on. It was uh, metallic and bought it, and I've used it in Sunday school classes, etc., to talk about how this armor does defend us against the evil one. So what Paul is doing here, he's, in a sense, one could say be using a parable or a metaphor to talk about the different parts of the armor. So let's see what they are. Verse 14. Ephesians 6, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That's the first piece of armor. That was a belt that held the other parts of the armor together. Now, what would that be signifying? That would be signifying God's word, the belt of truth, because 
God's word speaks to us explaining what the parts of the armor are and helping us to understand how important it is to have the belt of truth. If you don't have the belt of truth, you got the belt of falsehood. And therefore, you're not really fastened properly. Now, what does the belt of truth, what does that attach to the body? That's the next piece of armor. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, how does the breastplate of righteousness, how does that mess up the schemes of the devil? Well, I'll tell you what the devil loves to do. He loves to show that you are a sinner. And therefore, he talks about sin in the same way he was talking to Adam and Eve about being like God. Part of what he says is true, but then he leaves it. You are a sinner, and therefore you don't deserve salvation. Every religion in the world follows this. They believe that they are saved by their works. And if they can only do their works properly, then God will save them. Work righteousness is one of the worst things the devil can get you to believe. Because when you get to believe that, you're never really sure that you're going to be saved. So what's given to you in the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, that breastplate of righteousness is not something you deserve. It is a gift from God. Uh, the best example to think about that is Abraham. Abraham, you and uh, your wife, even though she's way past childbearing age, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And he, through him, will come the seed that will save the world. Abraham believed it. And the very next phrase, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Was Abraham no longer a sinner? Of course not. He remained a sinner. But with the breastplate of righteousness, he could combat the devil who said, you don't deserve to go to heaven. Our answer to the devil is, you are correct. I do not deserve to go to heaven. But God has given me the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. He was righteous. That is, he never sinned. And in your holy baptism, he transferred that righteousness with the gift of the Holy Spirit to you. Then, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes. What's he talking about? Well, it was difficult to walk 
in the day of Jesus, very few cement roads, and therefore sandals would sometimes be the best, and they would wear out. But to have on a set of shoes, therefore you were ready to share the gospel of peace with others. In fact, that would kind of be a good metaphor for mission activity of the church. Shoes, because we send missionaries and others to other lands with a gospel of peace so they too can come to a knowledge. Guess what? I am saved because of the breastplate of righteousness. You know, blessed are the shoes who travel, therefore. And, and that's Paul. He traveled all over the world. And we're still not done. Because if you look at a soldier, what is he holding? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now, the shield of faith, if you just think about that, what is that referring to? Well, it all depends what you mean by the word faith. If you mean by the word faith that you just believe there is a God, or you just believe that he died on the cross or rose from the dead, that's really not sufficient. Because there are those who believe that, and they are not going to heaven. Because they are unbelievers. The shield of faith is really referring to the trust in the promises from Jesus Christ. Now, what does that do? It says that with that faith, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, let me use an analogy that there is a building on fire and the fire engines arrive, but they forgot the water. Well, guess what? They can't extinguish the flames. But because fire engines always bring with them the water or can attach their hose to the water, they are able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So a flaming dart of the evil one might be, yes, you're not good enough to go to heaven. Well, I can extinguish that because Jesus was good enough to get me to go to heaven. In other words, we always turn to Jesus and the cross to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Then there's something else that we're wearing on our head. Take the helmet of salvation. Have you ever considered why they wear a helmet? Well, a lot of times in war, maybe arrows are coming your way or you're fighting someone with a sword, and if they hit your head, you'll be dead, unless the helmet keeps the sword or the arrow from embedding itself in your body. So the helmet of salvation is really another metaphor that we are wearing. It's really the strength of God within us. And therefore, when we are attacked, we can be confident 
that with our helmet of salvation, God will be taking care of us. Then, if you've noticed, all of the pieces of the armor so far have been defensive, ways of defending against the evil one. Now we move to the offensive. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. See, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is our offensive weapon. Jesus used it. Remember when he had the temptations? Satan gave him, that we know of at least, three temptations. And in each one, Jesus used a passage from Deuteronomy to overcome the temptation. See, this is how we also can overcome temptation by using God's word and therefore cut to ribbons the false teaching of prophets, the devils, false pastors, etc. And we do that praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's why we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do a good work except by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible makes the distinction between the works you do, which are called good works, and the works of the Holy Spirit, which are called fruit of faith. Like, you can do a very good work, and it still be a sin. I, I made this mention before. A lady drops her groceries on the street, and you stop and help pick them up, put it back in her bag, maybe even carry the groceries to her car. Now, that looks like a good work. But as you're doing that, you're looking around to see if any of your members are driving by in order that they may see what a wonderful pastor you are. You have suddenly, because of your motivation, changed a good work into a sinful work. But the Holy Spirit's, his fruit of faith are always done out of faith, not out of some kind of personal goal. So, to that end, Paul says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, we're praying also for the saints. Uh, We pastors do that a lot. People will come to us with concerns, and as we speak with them, we help them to get through those concerns. And in that way, we're praying for the saints. But Paul adds in verse 19 of Ephesians 6, and pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, there was an occasion 
when people like Peter and the disciples said, oh, we will never deny you. We will die before we deny you. Yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did they do? They lacked the boldness to proclaim their relationship to Jesus Christ. Peter ended up denying him three times. The rest of the disciples fled from him. And so we have a situation that Paul is saying, pray for me so that when the proper words are necessary to be said, I will not fear for my life. Talk about somebody who could have feared for his life. He was beaten, whipped, imprisoned, made hungry, isolated many a time. But he continued to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And he did that boldly. And notice, to proclaim the mystery, not of the law, but of the gospel. The law, that tells us what we are to do. The gospel tells us what Jesus did in order to come the problem we have in not doing what we're supposed to do. The mystery of the gospel is a mystery. In fact, the word mysterion is translated by Jerome in his Bible into sacramentum. So baptism and the Lord's Supper are sacraments, but they're a real mystery. How? By applying water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, does an infant receive faith? Or by saying the words of institution over the Lord's Supper, do we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ? That is a mystery. And then the last verse 20, Paul says, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's imprisoned a lot of times. How about you? We're not in prison. Are we speaking boldly the gospel? On tomorrow's program with Mark Smith, we're going to look at the hymn, By Grace I'm Saved. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.